Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, you are listening to Just Films and That. This is the podcast where we talk about films we think are underrated or underseen. I'm the host for this week, Josh Allen, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Alice Oliver. How are you doing, Alice? You all right? Oh, I don't know. I'm a little bit scared oh, this week. I'm a little why? bit creeped out. Oh. Things are getting a bit spooky, Josh, because yeah. it's Halloween. <gasps> Halloween, isn't it? Halloween. Halloween. Again, here we are. Here we are again. It's only, it seems like a year ago we were doing a Halloween episode. And, is, this uh, our th- is this our th- only our second or is this our third? This what, has got to be our third Halloween episode. Halloween, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we clocked on that um, Halloween was a thing until after COVID. Uh, when, you, when we thought about all the things we'd missed and then yeah. taking uh, sweets off strangers in doorways was one yeah. of them. But um, yeah. but yes, I'm very well. I'm very excited. You know I'm excited, don't you? Yes, I too. I'm very excited. I'm a little bit creeped out, but that's okay. Yep, that's because it's Halloween, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, it's Halloween, as I've said, so we've got a very special guest for you. Uh, we are joined by uh, an actor. She's known for many roles in the UK horror scene. Aviana Snow, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very, very uh, grateful to be here. No, it's, it's, it's lovely to have you. So this might seem like an absolutely stupid question, but as it's a Halloween episode and based on your filmography, I think I probably know the answer to this, but are you into Halloween? <laughs> I am very into Halloween. It's my yeah. favourite time of the year. This is very is much my month. So. Oh, yeah. So what do you get up to then? What does your Halloween month look like? Oh, um... I like a bit of wicker. I like to go around Highgate Cemetery dressed up in my diaphanous witch gown. I mm. like to dance in the moonlight. You're actually not allowed to um, to do so any longer at Highgate Cemetery. They changed the rules. If you go on their website yeah. now, they say no ghosty stuff, nothing to do with the undead. Mm. Oh, no. Um, so Is I've that because of you? Did you turn so, up yeah. one too many times? <laughs> I've been forced out of Highgate Cemetery. Um oh. And I've got to find somewhere else to to do my moonlight dancing this year, but I'll <laughs> I'll find something, I'm sure. So, something I want to ask you is obviously you do a lot of you do a lot of UK horror films, and and if you look at your social media, it's all quite horror focused. Like, what's that like? Is that something that you decide to do, or is it just something that you think, oh, I like it, so that's what I'm gonna what what I'm gonna aim for? How does that come to be? I think I the first horror film I made, I kind of stumbled into by accident. I ended up auditioning for Paul Hyatt, who was a, a fantastic makeup artist who then became a director and made a film called The Convent back in like 2016. Um, and I was really late with the auditions. They'd already kind of held the main auditions and most of the main cast had been chosen. And then I somehow got in the door to be seen for this. It was a nun with sort of 
I don't think I even had a line. I think I died at the beginning and then came back to life and just Ooh. sort of, um, but I somehow managed to, I don't know, lie my way, hustle my way in the door to this audition and got got the part and then spent a sort of very fun week running around a drafty castle in Wales. Um, and at the time, I didn't think it would lead anywhere. I just thought, oh, well, that was a fun week and thought no more of it. But um <laughs> But yeah, it kind of, it sort of spiraled, it grew like a disease. It spread from, from one part of my body to the next um, <laughs> in that I then got another horror film and then another horror film. And then you kind of get, you get known for doing a certain thing. Mm. And also all your contacts, like all my kind of friends in the industry, like, you know, you make, like if you start going to Fright Fest religiously, you make a lot of horror friends almost, mm. and then they offer you something in their film. And then before you know where you are, you um, suddenly you've done loads of horror films. But I really like the genre. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's hugely enjoyable and it's a great genre and there's a great audience that love it. So, you know, why not? Horror fans are like some of the most devoted fans, I think. They're, of yeah, they're so ardent. Album. Absolutely. Yeah. I always think like horror films look like they're really fun to make. Mm -hmm. It depends. I mean, they again, I work mainly in the UK, as you've said, and there's certain like tropes with horror films. You quite often find yourself outdoors, maybe mm, in a no, wood. A lot of makeup. <laughs> and yeah, quite often fake blood, which is very sticky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sticky and kind of uncomfortable and you're quite often very cold because mm. like this time last year I was out in the Welsh woods uh, just outside Hereford in a wedding dress playing a ghost bride that was appearing to people <laughs> trying to walk through a wood which looks lovely on screen but you know just freezing from oh, God, you know and, and it's in a lot of the time it's night shoots as well because these things tend to be set at mm. night so you do spend a lot of time outdoors <laughs> in the dark, in the cold, going, why did I choose this job? But, you know, we love it, really. <laughs> I it's suppose it's like, it's like when you see um, Christmas music, Christmas song music videos and, and you can tell they were made in August, but everyone's in massive jumpers. Or, or, yeah, or, or, the, or the opposite, when it's like people set people on the beach, but it's they're clearly, um, they're clearly in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah. That's when the beaches are clear, though, isn't it? That's when, so, when you and it's get four o'clock big... in the morning because that's yeah, when you can exactly. clear the beach. So just to go off on a different tangent, just quickly. So I can't. I feel like I can hear a Welsh accent. Where about in Wales are you from? Uh, I'm not from Wales. Oh, um, you're not. Am I imagining no. the Welsh accent? Well, I was born in Northern Ireland, which I right. think maybe throws people off. Um, oh. But I came to England when I was in my teens, so right. I have a sort of British Irish mixture. I've kind of I've lived in both countries. Um, Oh, so right. that's... I could have sworn you were Welsh, you know. I, I no, could, you know, well, I could hear I have... that twang. I was like, oh, where's she from? <laughs> she's, she's, I have an interesting <laughs> voice because I then, when I went to drama school in England, I was taught for many years how to speak in sort of the Queen's English. Mm -hmm. So when you come out of drama school, you sort of talk like that because you've been taught to speak for three years. <laughs> um, and so I've just had a, yeah, it's a mixture of sort of, Northern Ireland, England, and then a lot of elocution lessons. So <laughs> that makes a, a Welsh voice. accent analysis ad. Yeah, is, that's is a so mixture weird. of a teen that's years so in Northern weird. Ireland, bit of Ireland, a bit of England, and then some some elocution lessons equals 
A Welsh, Welsh accent, Alice, doesn't it? I'm hearing things. Yeah. I'm hearing things. Gosh. So one thing I'm always interested in is, uh, would you call yourself, AVR, would you call yourself a scream queen? Because that's like a horror thing, isn't it? Scream queen. Oh, my goodness. Um, I that's don't... A, that's such a great title, I think. Like, there's, there's no yeah. other version of that. It's, it's, I don't know whether I'm, whether I'm there yet. I mean, to me, the Scream Queens are like Jamie Lee Curtis yeah, and yeah. people like that. And, you know, I wouldn't like to sort of award myself the <laughs> title, good. but, you know, I don't know whether I, whether I deserve, um, maybe one day I will reach the, the heights, the giddy heights of being a mm. Scream Queen. I'm, st- I'm just, I'm only a Scream Princess at the moment. Because <laughs> is there a, is there a, uh, a male version of Scream Queen? Yell, Ooh. fella. Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Josh. That was yeah. good effort, man. <laughs> shout loud. Shout loud. Uh, howl, gowl. <laughs> that's a good howl, one. Yeah, that's howl good. Ghoul? No, howl, ghoul. No, I don't know. That doesn't work. <laughs> no, I can't think of one. No. Uh, anyway, so we always, despite the fact we've been talking for ages now, we always start with a completely random question. It's a little bit less random because it's our Halloween special, so I'll put it out to the listeners. And Jacob Davison on Twitter got in touch to say, it's just, a, it's quite an open-end question. It said, what is your favourite monster? So making it Halloween specific, let's go for you first, Alice. Who, what's your favourite monster? Let's say movie monster. You want me to say movie, like, Yeah, that's, well, that's sort of where my head went initially. Sort not of like, yeah, when we guy, did... you know. What? <laughs> Not like some guy that you know. Like, no, no, it's yeah. like, oh, fucking Derek from down the road, I tell you. Um, no, because it made me think of when we did uh, top 10 pods and, and they asked us to think of our top 10 movie monsters. So that's Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? Where I, where I st- sort of started going with it. Um, I do, I really like, and you let me know if this counts or not, but I do love the sharks in Deep Blue Sea. You know, the hyper-intelligent, swimming backwards, um, extra large, recognizing guns, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I love those guys. Is that, fa- is that your favorite though? Your favorite um, is the sharks from Deep Blue Sea. They're just the ones. I think they're the ones that I do. I do enjoy the most. I think Godzilla obviously looks great. Mm. Um, um, and the Tremors monsters are the pretty cool things. too. The worm things, worms, <laughs> they're pretty cool. What about you, Josh? I reckon you'll you'll have a much better. It's probably well, this, yeah. I mean, there are there's loads of classics, isn't there? You think of like your Frankenstein's and your Wolfman's, and you've got like your your more modern eighties ones like Freddy Krueger, Jason, Michael Myers, all that sort of stuff. For me, it's I think it's vampires. Like, yeah. I think the class the classic, and you think of when I think of the most classic movie monster, it's whether it's Bella Lugosi, Christopher Lee, whatever you know. Twilight. Nicholas Cage now. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Um it's um it's 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 vampires for me. I think I think that's the quintessential Halloween monster and one of the easiest costumes. Yeah, just, put a bang. Just yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, Easy. kids come to the door. Yeah. Last year I got a uh, I bought a mask, you know, a full head one you put over your head, which the size of my head isn't easy. And it oh. just didn't play. They just knock at the door and you're like going, whoa, who's this? Can you have some sweets? Yeah, there you go. Like, it was just rubbish, honestly. Oh, it, was, no. it was absolutely rubbish. But what about you, Aviana? What's your, what's your favourite monster? My favourite is, um, so Neil Gaiman, who's one of my favourite mm. authors, wrote mm. a book called Coraline, which was adapted mm. for the screen back in, God, I think 2009. The, the animated one. The, the animated yes. one, yes. Yeah. Which was made by Leica Studios based in Oregon. And the antagonist is the Bell Dam, and she is. As she presents at first as a sort of loving mother, 
she's very kind of warm and nice. And then as the film progresses, you see her true form and she's very tall and very thin and so thin that she's brittle and she's insect-like and she sews buttons in your eyes and she lures children into her den to steal their life. Ooh. And I just think it's, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's I love Guyman's writing. It's dark, unsettling, just a, a sort of, gruesome fantasy yeah i think the mm. bell dam is my favorite she's terrifying that's a, that that's is that is one of the creepiest films i think I've, I've ever seen like it is creepy and it just gets exactly. creepier as it goes on it's so well it's done. one of my favorite ever films i think it's astoundingly it? yeah. good um yeah. and she and again it, it preys on like a real mother which is something we all you know who do you trust in the world more than your real mother mm-hmm. um and yet, and to have that kind of turned into a dark monster. Mm. That's, mm. Yeah, that's, that's that's a really really good point. Well, I, I don't think I've ever seen Coraline. We'll put it out oh, to the listeners yeah. who's so my other half really likes it. We actually got it somewhere on DVD in the place oh, wow. where everyone keeps their DVDs, which is the loft, um, yeah. because everyone has streaming services now. But anyway, uh, I've never seen it, so I think I think I'll give that a watch. This you this should, Halloween. yeah, I love it. I think you'd um, like it, Josh, just because it is like it is just a good film as well. Mm. Like it's just oh, yeah. really well written. I like Tim Burton. I, you know, I, I like Tim Burton. Yeah. So I've just never got around to watching it, but uh, yeah, yes, yeah. I'll give that. I'll, I shall give that a watch. Anyway, let's move on to talking about this week's film, which is Little Joe from 2019. So, Aviana, you you picked this one. Um, mm. So, tell the guys at home a little bit about you know in a sort of 10, 20 seconds what it's about, and then why did you pick it for this for this apart from the fact that we asked you to pick a film. So Little Joe was directed by Jessica Hausner and it stars Emily Beecham and Ben Whishaw as uh, scientists, researchers working in a lab developing a plant. And the idea is that the um, if, you, if you buy the plant and have it in your home, it sort of helps with depression. The sort of tagline is Little Joe makes you happy. Um, and at first everything seems fine. And then as the film progresses, Emily Beecham's character begins to believe that something's gone wrong with the plant, that it's been rushed through, that actually the plant causes harm, that the people around her that have been in contact with the plant are beginning to change for the worse. Um, And it's all about kind of whether or not she can trust her own perceptions of reality and what's happening around her. And that, I think, is... What I like about it is that it's kind of, it's unsettling. So it's not sort of a flashy horror. It's not just kind of all blood and guts and gore. It sort of has a deep, it creates a deep sense of unease, a growing sense of unease. Mm. And the idea to me that you may not feel safe in your own mind, can you trust your own perceptions, your own memories, that to me is terrifying. So, Mm. yeah, and I think it kind of didn't get enough attention when it was released. Mm. because I think it's genuinely really, really good. Um, mm. Yeah, so I thought that's, to me, that's an underrated film. Mm. And probably a little bit underseen as well, if more people should mm-hmm. uh, should, should see it. So so it's the, the the coveted double whammy. So we'll get stuck into talking about it now. I think uh, I think it was, it was a very interesting film, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. So Alice, mm-hmm. had you seen this one before? Hadn't seen it, hadn't heard of it. So that's two points there for underseen um, oh, yeah. but there Join was us next week when uh... yeah we did it bye guys but there's a i mean there's a there was a lot of i thought just like technically really mm. impressive 
mm. things about this film that I can't wait to get into. What about you, Josh? Had you seen this one? So I hadn't seen it. Okay. I'm not... So, so I'm not sure if I'd heard of it. I don't think I had, but it's filmed uh, in Liverpool, or a it lot of sure it is filmed is. in Liverpool. It sure is. It doesn't say it's set in Liverpool, despite the fact that the live birds are very prominent in a couple mm-hmm. of shots. But and the M for the Mersey travel the, as well. <laughs> for is the there? Mersey travel and all that, and the cathedral and all that. Um, but I, 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 so I'm wondering. You know, when you see like. Because we, so Avion, if you don't already know, we both live in Liverpool. Um, so if you don't know, there's the, the Echo, the Liverpool Echo, always run, you know, thing, thing, things you've seen filmed in Liverpool. So, oh. so I'm, I'm wondering if I'd seen it in the papers, you know, pictures of Ben Wishaw on on the street where filming, you know, look at, you know, Ben Wishaw filming here or whatever. But I definitely hadn't seen it before. And overall, yeah, I mean, I mean, technically, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but technically, I think it's quite the marvel in the in in the way that it's made. I mean, so when you sent your choices over Aviana, one of the things you'd said about this was that it, you enjoyed the Kubrickian nature of the cinematography. Mm-hmm. And I wrote Kubrickian and then reread your email. So I saw the titles and just went for that one because I liked the sound of the title and I looked at like what it was about and stuff. And then I went back and read that you put Kubrickian and I'd already written it. And I was like, oh, so it's obviously it is because I've said it and, and, and you've said it as well. Yeah, so if it, we both it, said the same thing, that's a good... Um, that's a good that's a good yeah. side, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, generally speaking, I thought the way it looked and sounded was probably the best part of the film. I liked the plot and the acting and all that, but the so when I say the strength, that's not to say that the other things weren't good, but I thought the use of colour, how stylized it was, how staged it was, mm-hmm. how framed it was because quite often when I think when you think of British horror films and I'm not sure if this is still the case but for me I think of things like 28 Days Later which Uh are very handheld camera quite gritty quite sort of naturalistic whereas this is almost the opposite of that it's so clean it's so sharp it's so staged I really enjoyed that and it did look like you know it looked like 2001 or The Shining or something like and it felt a little bit like that the way that the you know, if you take The Shining as the the, the example that's probably the, the closest because it's Kubrick and it's horror, it's that idea of slowly building to something. But like you said, Aviana, there isn't jump scares and stuff like that. It's that sense of dread. It's that sense of unease. And it's also that sense of you're not sure what you're watching as the viewer, which mm. is also the whole thing that's going on with Emily Beecham's character, Alice, who isn't sure is is what's happening in her head actually happening with little Joe the plant as he... As he it's, it's a little bit, I suppose, if you've not seen it at home and you listen to this, it's a little bit Day of the Triffids meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So it's a little bit like, are the plants sort of taking over the people's personalities and stuff like that? And then as it goes on, you're like, well, is it? Or is she Is she thinking that it is and stuff like that? So, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. But anyway, come, come to you, Aviana, because you've picked it. So what are some of the things that you particularly like about the film? So um, I love, as you've already mentioned, the kubrickian quality of the camera work it's almost like the camera is alive and moving so there are several scenes where the camera will be doing a sort of slow pan across towards two characters that are talking and it will pass the two characters and continue moving continue going on down the room or down the corridor or whatever as if the two actors were only sort of incidental to Mm. the scene and incidental to the camera movement which i thought was really really just clever and stylish and I don't see it very often Mm. um and it's almost like the camera's kind of nearly peering around corners it gives you the sort of feeling that you're almost eavesdropping on conversations that you weren't meant to hear it's 
it's a, just a very intelligent way of using the camera, I think, and, and using the camera in an artistic way more so than just sort of setting it up to get the shot. Um, so I liked that. I also like the fact that at the end, there's no kind of clear resolution. I don't want to give away the kind of ending, but at the denouement, there's no sort of, you don't get the sort of yes or no as to whether was the plant really doing this or not. Mm. You never kind of get, it's sort of left up to the audience's interpretation, which I also like because one thing I sort of sometimes dislike with horror films is the sort of final scene. It's a bit kind of, it's almost too clean, like it cleans mm. everything up, you know, and it was him all along. <laughs> and that's so, or as you kind of, in, in this, you sort of don't get the sense of what happened. And um, it sort of things look like they're back to normal, but there's still kind of something behind behind Alice's eyes and you sort of think, well, it's, has she been taken by the plants herself now or not? So I, I kind of, I like the kind of the lack of clarity. Um, yeah, does it, does it spoon feed you, does it? Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so it's kind of, it's intelligent horror, I would say. Um, is there anything else, Alice? What else did you like about it? Uh, just, I mean, the, the biggest thing and the main thing that you obviously just can't ignore is the aesthetic of it. And I mean mm. that in literally every single way. It's just so interesting and so striking. Like everything is impeccably neat and clean and clinical, even things like the framing and the way each shot has been designed. So there's a lot of really neat lines that run through each shot. And this is created using mostly different bits of the set. So when we're in the lab or when we're in Alice's home with the window frames and the way that they're styled, even the way that the yo sushi takeaway bag lines up with the curtains in her kitchen like it's all just so controlled and so pristine and so perfect the costumes the props the sets like when we're in the lab it's so stark and white and sanitized it's almost uncomfortable to look at and there's a few things that occur in this film that feel like they're designed to make you feel uncomfortable but in a more subtle way than just oh that character's creepy or that bit of script is weird sort of thing so like with the framing like i already said but then also the soundscape which at times is really overtly uncomfortable to listen to with those like high-pitched noises. But then at times it would be a bit more subtle and then just with certain tones that it would use and certain timing as well. So it just created a real vibe and I think was really engaging. And like you said, Ariana, about the way, because I did notice that with the the way the camera would would zoom in slowly as mm. two people are having a conversation, they frame either side of the shot and the camera just keeps going and keeps going until they're out of frame, which mm. isn't something you see that often, but that's really immersive and does help you feel a bit more like you're, you're there with them, like you're in the room with them as they're having that conversation. Um, so yeah, and then, so we talked about kind of how I felt about Alice as well. And that was something I did enjoy about the mystery and the uncertainty of it. And just a little thing as well. It did remind me a little bit of Little Shop of Horrors, especially <laughs> when they named the plant Little Joe. After, after which, I saw. Which is like naming it Audrey too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty yeah. much exactly the same thing. So I really enjoyed that too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Is, I'll come to you now, Aviana. What do you think of, obviously, because you know, of the three of us, you're the actor. What 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 do you think of the performances in this? Because I also I really like performances as well. But what do you think? What do you think of them? Yeah, I think they're excellent. Um, I mean, I love Emily Beecham, and mm. I've, been, I've been a huge fan of Ben Whishaw for many many years. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're both bringing something you know, something great to it. Um, yeah, you know, fantastic. Um, really strong across the board. I think what works well in it as well is that um, 
we've already talked about the visuals, how striking and how stylized it is. Yeah. But I think that what really works, what what sort of pushes the, the narrative forward and keeps it engaging as well, because the you know the the aesthetics of the film do a lot do a lot of heavy lifting. It's amazing to look at, but that does only go so far if you haven't mm. got engaging performances and stuff like that. But I think what they do really well in this is it's very stylized against naturalistic performances. Ben Whishaw particularly mm. is just so they just seem like normal people. Obviously Alice goes through much more of a character arc, much more of a journey. So her performances changes like it needs to for the, for the narrative. But Ben Wishaw obviously plays the, the sort of, well, he's not a love interest, is he? He's a coworker who fancies her sort of thing. And, um, he's very natural. It's almost like something out of a soap opera, like the way he talks to her. There's a bit in it where, mm. um, there's a bit in it. I don't know if you noticed Alice, but they go for a drink in the, in the Philharmonic. Did notice. <laughs> which did is, notice which immediately. Is a, we were like, is that the Phil? Yeah. We saw that it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a really beautiful pub in in Liverpool, which, which is near the Philharmonic Opera House, and it's a, sorry the Philharmonic uh, Concert Hall, and it's famous for the Beatles drinking there, which is about seven hundred pubs in Liverpool. But it's mm. particularly famous for that. But I, I did think when they were drinking, I was like, he's got certain way too quick there. It's fifteen minutes for a pint in the film, but anyway, yeah, no. But there's a scene in that where they're having a conversation over a drink, and it's like it was like something from Coronation Street, and that's not a. I'm talking about kitchen sink acting. I'm not talking about mm. to, to, to decry Coronation Street. It's something that's that's so naturalistic. It could just be a conversation, which is, you know, is is difficult to do because as an actor, you always want to act. You always want to perform. You always want to emote. And sometimes what you need to do is actually really really strip it back which is what i think he's done and and emily Beach yeah you're right there's, there's often kind of not enough credit given to very subtle naturalistic performances when it comes to sort of acting awards it does tend to be the big flashy look at me type of acting that gets yeah. awarded when actually there's a lot of skill in kind of just being natural as well I always come back to one of my most controversial opinions, which I've had stick for in the past, but I'll stick to it, which is Adam Driver should have won the Oscar for Marriage Story, not Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is very, very good in Joker, but he's just being the mm. Joker, whereas Adam Driver is playing a man whose marriage and life is absolutely falling apart. And I believe him, not that I don't believe Joaquin Phoenix because he's playing a killer clown, but um, yeah, but, but, yeah, mean, so, but it's, but it's so much mean. more difficult to be... You know, I, I think as an actor, it's probably, I don't know, maybe you could shed some light on Aviana. It's probably almost easier to go big than stay small. Mm -hmm. It's just that to go big, yes, it might require more physical or mental or emotional energy or whatever you call it. But to keep it small, I think, requires a similar amount of energy just to stave off the idea of wanting to go big. Do you know what I mean? If that makes sense. And I think they do it really Absolutely, well in this. Absolutely, yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have you done acting yourself? Is that why you're so knowledgeable about he it? He has, he has. I don't, yeah, I don't like to bit, say, yeah. Uh, you, Josh? I don't <laughs> you like to love talking about, talking about it. <laughs> Alice, I don't like to talk about my 2-1 uh, from university. <laughs> <laughs> Drama. Uh, I mean, you know, it's done me a good step, but no. Yeah, I I did a little bit. I've never done anything professionally or anything like that. I'd love to say I had, but I wasn't very good. So um, oh, <laughs> that's I'm why sure I'm that's doing. Not true. Maybe <laughs> you were going too big, and you need to rein it in and be more Adam yeah. Driver and less wacky in Phoenix. Is you always want to do the? You know, everyone wants to go big, yeah, and everyone wants to be memorable. But memorable doesn't mean big. You know, sometimes sometimes you just got to be, you know, Phil Mitchell or Steve <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> rather than <laughs> okay so we'll move on then to talking about things that we might change about the film uh, that we didn't like about the film I don't think there's going to be loads for this bit but we always try and be balanced don't we Alice um, mm-hmm. so what do you reckon anything you didn't like anything you'd change so I've got a few like little things okay mm. but there were no big offenders in this for me so, but I reckon the, the acting the writing the, 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 yeah, the whole <laughs> film it started and it finished yeah. and it was just a bad time no, so you but I feel like you two might be able to shed some light on a couple of these mm. and maybe offer more insight and a deeper explanation as to why I'm wrong so <laughs> the first thing and this is really silly but it is just something that I noticed and I thought was really weird and that's that in one scene Joe is wearing a South Park t t-shirt right Mm. and I found that really odd because it kind of felt like a costume mistake instead of like trying to insinuate that Joe is a fan of South Park and it just felt really strange and really out of place like so in some films you do get people who wear like band t-shirts and stuff like the guy in Bring It On wears the Clash t-shirt and then that's a point you know it's like oh he likes the Clash he's into that sort of music that kind of thing so it sort of makes sense in that regard but in this it just didn't it just wasn't anything, but it was like that fella's so you, got you, Kenny on his T-shirt. So you feel like the. So I suppose is is your point that you feel like they use such a recognisable image to yeah. not comment on it is strange sort of thing. I suppose in films like this, uh, particularly this film with the way we talked about it, look the way it looks, it's a lot of bold but plain colours. A lot of that, and block, so perhaps because the image is on his T-shirt, maybe it's really noticeable. And it was just, it was just like a really strange choice. Like you don't see that often. Characters in films wearing t-shirts of other characters in other 
sort of no, TV shows and they films They normally and take stuff. most most of the time they take logos and stuff off of stuff, don't they? When yeah, they're... so it was just really weird, and I thought it really stood out to me. But anyway. no, sometimes when they do that, they're trying to sort of it's a kind of cheap, quick way of building a character, mm. which yeah. sort of saves them from having to write lots of dialogue. Just oh, have him wearing a football t-shirt that'll that'll do or just to try and make him how do we make this kid a bit more interesting or give him a personality or, mm. yeah. yeah like well they do it sometimes with like they, yeah you're right they do it with teenagers a lot where they dress one up as a goth or something and then mm. that'll save us from having to write an interesting personality for her because we've given her purple streaks in her hair and that'll, <laughs> yeah. that'll do instead you know so it's exactly. it's a it's sometimes lazy lazy screenwriting is it um, like the sort of uh is it a teenage boy equivalent of about 20 years ago when if you wanted to show a girl was quirky and then like an indie indie drama? Yeah, blue, like, oh, hair. blue hair. Blue hair? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Precisely. She's not got her normal hair colour. <laughs> so that was just, I, I just thought that was peculiar and just really stood out to me. But move on now. And then, there was, so there was a couple of other things that I just sort of, I didn't really find them super believable within the world of this film. So at that lab that they're in where they're doing all the work, all the botany, so it really doesn't seem like the sort of environment where you should be bringing a dog to work, uh, right? I've got so, that in my notes. So I appreciate, so Bella ha does have a history of mental illness and they do explain that. So it could well be that that is her emotional support dog, which I get, but they talk like what they're doing around the lab and, and, and in that environment is really delicate, possibly unethical, and that they don't really fully understand the full potential of the implications of, and of what they're doing. So I just didn't buy that they would let a dog just in there running around do, sort of doing its thing. And then at one point it gets locked in the it gets locked in the lab and it gets infected. Even if it was an emotional support dog which is obviously obviously is 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 things that, that something that people use and all that but if you're in like a, a botany lab you probably would be going well it can't go in the lab because it might eat something i don't know i i thought that the other thing i thought is she's called bella and the dog is called bello bello yeah and i was like that's quite confusing that's like me yeah. that's like me having a dog called jish like, <laughs> or Joss. Yeah, Joss, yeah. <laughs> it did take it, it did take me a while. It took me a while because I was like, is she Bella or is the dog Bella? And then I eventually heard she, there were certain times where she really enunciated it nice and clearly. Mm. It was like, oh no, Bello is the dog mm. and she's Bella. But yeah, I just don't think that dog would be in that environment. <laughs> I don't think that's a responsible thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Uh, was there anything else? Um, so just, so there is a couple more things. So another one, similar to that one, is that, so obviously they're, they're very, very careful around the plants and stuff. You know, when they leave that lab, they disinfect their shoes, um, they sanitize their hands, they end up wearing masks and stuff around it. But then constantly they leave the lab wearing their lab coats and then go all and all eat in the canteen, all wearing their lab coats. So I just felt like that was a little bit inconsistent. So I was like, well, how careful do you actually have to be? Like, what, mm. what are the rules here and how cautious have you all decided to be with this? You're saying you need to wear masks, you sanitize your hands, you disinfect your shoes, but then you're in there in them coats and you're going out and you're all going down to lunch in them coats as well. That just felt a little bit inconsistent for me. And then just finally, <laughs> I don't think Selma's character was established enough before she got infected and started acting weird. So we didn't see enough of her to then realise that she's acting strange and has been infected by the plant. So it comes across a little bit 
like it's a bad performance. But I do think if we'd spent more time with her before she got infected and saw what she was like, like seen her mannerisms and her attitude and how she speaks and stuff, then this wouldn't be the case. So I feel like I would have appreciated a little bit more character development around her because we got that a lot with the other characters. Like they have some establishing features and qualities and stuff so that when they turn, you can sort of sense, oh yeah, they've been infected or you think, you know, they've been infected. But with Selma, she was very, she only said like a couple of words before she got infected. And then after she was infected, she was quite prominent and she mm. had a lot more screen time. So I just would have liked a little bit more time with her. Um, mm. But that was it. So no major offenders in this one no. for me. What about you, Josh? No, I mean, nothing, re nothing really for me. I didn't even notice some of the stuff he said there. Although, to be fair, to comment on the Selma thing that you said, so if you've not, if you've seen the film, that Selma is, is Joe's, her son's sort of, well, sort of girlfriend or friend, it never really specifies. Um, but um, I forgot who she was when he started talking about it, and it took me a minute to go, oh, yeah, it's Joe's, it's Joe's yeah. uh, girlfriend. Um, no, for me, so the one thing I have seen, we'll come on to the critical reception shortly, is that I saw one review that sort of said it was, it was, it was slowly paced and a bit boring. Now, for me, I think the pacing is a choice. I think that slow mm -hmm. build and of unease and dread and all that is a choice. And I think if you're if you're saying that, I think you're sort of that's like saying two thousand and one is slow mm -hmm. because it is because it's made like that. I don't think you can make a film that's only this this you know it's 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 what is it an hour and forty minutes something like that. I don't think you can make a film that's that short and then say but I've made it slow on purpose. Well, I, I, that's my personal opinion anyway. Um, so I think that is the point, but I do see how you might put this on if it wasn't your cup of tea and think, okay, it is a little bit slowly paced for me. It wasn't for me. I think it was a choice, but I do sort of see how you could think that. The only other thing I noticed is, is there a completely random Brexit joke at the end? Did you oh, notice that? Oh, I don't know. Go so on, what was so it? when they decide to put Little Joe into production, the, her boss says, we've sold loads of them, and then goes, <laughs> even to the EU. <laughs> and I was like, is that, is that was that? <laughs> is that like I a joke? And I didn't know, is that like a silly Brexit <laughs> joke? As if like, it's so good, we've even sold some of them to the EU, which we've left everybody, or you know what I mean? Just, or maybe, because I know, or my, my limited sort of experience and understanding is the EU have very, very strict rules. Yeah, exactly, well, it's the regulations. Yeah. 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 yeah, very strict regulations, much more strict than the States, and I think probably much more strict than us now. Mm. Um, so it could be <laughs> something to do with that. Because I know, especially like Germany as well, like so strict about mm. things. Like America keep trying to, what was it? Was it OxyContin or something? Where America, like they were just desperate to get it in there, <laughs> desperate to get it in the market. And they were like, not a fucking chance. <laughs> like don't you come anywhere near us with that drug sort of thing. So that maybe, maybe it's to do with that perhaps. Bit, the regulations are just... You know, when a joke sticks out to you and you go, oh, that's a bit strange. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it probably is what you, what you both just said there. But nothing, again, nothing massive for me. I thought it's thoroughly enjoyable. Really, we don't say this that often, but really visually engaging to look at and stuff mm. like that. What, what about you, Aviana? Is there anything you don't like about it or that you'd change? Um, what do I not like? I think at times... I didn't particularly enjoy the romance element. Um, mm. And I think sometimes a lot of films feel they almost have to crowbar in a kind of oh. romantic uh, storyline. And it seems to be almost a requirement. And I, I sometimes mm. kind of question, you know, does there need to be a romance here? You know, could, mm. would this actually have been more taught if it were just 
a single mother making this discovery. And, and I always kind of think, why does she need to be portrayed as a as a love interest on top mm. of everything else? Um, we talk about that a lot. It comes up, it yeah. comes up all a lot. The time, like yeah. with, with some of the films that we do where you almost make it to the end or, or yeah. you know, the film is perfectly decent and the characters are great on their own, but there's this romance just shoehorned in there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it feels so unnecessary. And you just think, oh, just... You want them to be brave enough to not do that just not and to not yeah. think, and I like, think like, oh, for we me, have to do it sort of thing. The the weakest scenes or sort of the least interesting scenes are him sort of taking her to the pub and trying to flirt because mm. yeah. that was kind of, for me, where it lost its momentum. You know, mm. like you said, Josh, about it's a bit slow-paced at times. Mm. I think those scenes are the, are the slow bits because it's kind of not about the plant. It's not that interesting. It's just, yeah. So mm. for me, I think I would have... I would have just made him a colleague, really, and I yeah, would have yeah, just been... a mate, just yeah. a friend. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think that's a really good point. I did, yeah, I think that's really good. Like you say, Alice, we it comes up so often the amount of times it's like, and then you know, then they get together at the end. Like, was, mm. What? Like it's not obviously they don't no spoilers, but they don't get together in the end of this. But like you say, it's it's that it's that sort of commitment to a formula of well, we must have a romantic interest in it, whatever the plot is. There must mm-hmm. be some sort of romance in it, whatever whatever form that takes. There just has to be. And I think, like you say, you've got to be brave enough to go, no, this is actually about this woman's either complete obsession with her work or the outcome of that obsession with her work being, being the plan or whatever. So I think that's a really good point. Okay, then. So we'll move on then to talking about the critical reception then, and then we'll try and decide if it is underrated or underseen. Um, and we'll, we'll conclude with that. Alice... How do you think it did critically? How do you think it did commercially? Hmm, how do I think it did? Oh, co- well, commercially, I, I, I don't reckon it did very well. I mm. don't think the budget was huge. I imagine the most expensive thing was Ben Whishaw. But I, <laughs> I reckon around that, like filming in Liverpool, nice and cheap. They've done a good job there. <laughs> like there's, there's sort of maybe like three main sets that we bounce bounce between mm. so i reckon it it was fairly low budget but i mean i'm i'm guessing this wasn't in the odians the cine worlds etc like i can't imagine it hit that sort of audience so i would i probably say it, it didn't didn't do that well financially mm. commercially critically i feel like I feel like the critics probably like this a little bit more than the audience would but uh but then that goes against what i said before about horror fans being really dedicated and devoted so maybe horror fans love this or maybe it's not gory enough for them which is another point so i'm just thinking out loud now dancing <laughs> around the point how do i think it did maybe i'd probably say about a six mm-hmm. i reckon it's probably got about a six bang on i'm and gonna for say you, and for you would that be underrated um i'd probably i'd probably give it about that as well to mm. be honest i think I think the concept is great. And like I said, visually, it's just so impressive. And like mm. the amount of attention to detail that's gone into it is so obvious. And I really appreciate that. There was just a few of those little inconsistencies that sort of left me feeling, left me sort of thinking, ah, oh, you know, why did this happen sort of thing? And then what you said about people interpreting it as being slow and maybe mm. not having the sort of pace that they're after, I think that could affect it as well. Um so yeah, I reckon it got a six, and that is probably what I would give it. Okay. All right. What about you, Aviana? How, how do you think it did? Do you know how it did critically commercially? Do you, how, how do you think it did? If you, didn't? I mean, I've I've read a few reviews, but I, I don't know about sort of more broadly how it did. Mm. I agree with. I think what Alice said was very perceptive. I think it probably didn't do brilliantly commercially. Um, 
But I think sadly, that's kind of the way the industry is going almost. It's sort of the more interesting sort of art house fair tends not to do that well commercially. Mm. And the, the stuff that does well commercially seems to be films about superheroes and robots, which sort of <laughs> makes me despair slightly. But um, but you're right as to whether it kind of made back the amount of money that was spent on it. Um I don't know. I don't think Jessica Hausen has had another film out since, and it's mm. now 2023, which is four years hence. Does that sort of suggest that it's been difficult maybe to get the funding for her next mm. film? Um, because obviously when you're looking for funding, you know, uh, finances and investors kind of look at, okay, well, how did your last film perform? Um yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's mm. that's a very long-winded no, way of saying that I'm not sure. <laughs> well, let's have a look now then. So in terms of, we'll do the critic scores first. So at the time of recording, and I was I was pretty surprised by these, I'll be honest with you. At the time of recording on IMDb, it gets 5.8 out of 10. Okay. The critics on Rotten Tomatoes, proving Alice right, give it 67%. Okay. But the audience on Rotten Tomatoes give it 41%. Ooh. So it averages out, if you take those into consideration, at about 55% or a five and a half oh. out of 10. Now, for me, I think I like this a little bit more than you, Alice. I think this is a solid sort of seven, seven and a half. Did enjoy oh, really, it. Yeah. Would would watch it again, I think, which is mm. always a big a big measure. I think that's really underrated. I, I, I really do. What what would you say? Um, I, I mean, I would I would say that is underrated. And I think especially with like a sort of four in the a score in the 40s to me mm. that kind of number does you're ignoring or just not recognizing all the qualities that it does have and mm. like the strength in some of those qualities um so yeah i i would say that that is underrated as well what mm. would you give it um aviana i think i would give it a solid 7 yeah um and i think yeah it's because as you said it does look fantastic and it does have very solid performances solid premise executed quite well um yeah i think 40% is not fair no really? <laughs> No, I think I think we can safely say it's underrated. In terms of underseen, I mean, I think we probably already know the answer to this, being that both me and Alice hadn't heard of it. But to give you a general idea, the, the best figure I can find on Box Office Mojo is that it did just over two hundred thousand dollars worldwide, which oh, obviously wow. isn't much. Now I know there's you know Ben Whishaw's the biggest star in this, and there isn't any you know massive massive movie stars in it. It's not got loads of special effects and all that. But even so, I think just to touch on what you said, Aviana, you know there is definitely if if if, if this year. And post-pandemic cinema has taught us anything. I think that you know there is a place for films like this. They've just got to make them and take that chance. But unfortunately, if you go off just facts and figures, and the facts and figures tell you keep making more superhero films, keep making more, you know, whatever, then that's what they'll do. Whereas on the other side of it, you know, for example, I know this is a different kettle of fish, but if you look at Barbie, which is the biggest film of the year so mm. far. The lesson that I think to take away from that is make more films that will get people into the cinema who don't normally go to the cinema. But the lesson they'll mm. take from it is make more films about toys. Mm. <laughs> when in fact, we'll, I'm sure a lot of people will go in because Barbie is a toy, but I don't think it's the toy bit that was getting, you know, particularly women of all ages into the cinema for, for, for Barbie, you know. So and that's different. But I think there's definitely something to be said for films like this, little films that are worth giving a chance to which you know outside of 
independent cinemas like Home in Manchester, Fact in Liverpool, Prince Charles Cinema in London. I'm not sure many people are giving it a chance, and I think that's a shame. So why for me, I would say it's underseen and underrated. What would you say, Alice? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely give you that. I think as well with this, and I only just thought of this now when you were uh, speaking, but it feels like a bit of a shame because I feel like this would translate really well like to different countries and to different um, into different languages because so much of it is like it's the way that it's expressed I do think is very um like you can just you can figure it out quite easily it's non-verbal, like it's, isn't it a lot of it's non-verbal. yeah a lot of it is it's a lot about looking and kind of these quite severe sort of attitudes and the sounds and the visuals and stuff and I feel like well it, it was a, um it's sort of part Austrian or it was part Austrian funded yeah. or something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it does have a sort of European flavour to it. Yeah, it reminded and me I a little bit wonder... of Funny Games, which is also Austrian. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I wonder, that's a shame that it didn't find its its global audience. And I think maybe if it had been pushed a bit harder, obviously marketing budgets, are, are, you know, it's crazy, crazy money in that. But it, I reckon, I reckon if more people saw it, and I think maybe non-British people as well, mm-hmm. I think they'd really enjoy it. But also, if there's a film that you can market relatively easy, and I'm no expert, but I get the impression that horror is good to market it because all you've got to do is release it at the right time of year mm. and sort of go get into the cinemas for Halloween. That's what I think that's what's happened before. There's been times when films are released that are a horror film in like February. And you're like, why have you released it then? <laughs> when if yeah. you release it at the start of October and just put a bit of money into saying, get into the cinema this Halloween, <laughs> you'll make more money. But again, I'm not an expert. Obviously, sometimes they they release them because they have to release them because they have a slate and all that sort of stuff. But, but anyway, sorry, I'm rambling now. I think oh, it's underrated and underseen. Would you, are you happy with that, Aviana? What do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's indicative of a kind of a broader problem with independent film that it is really difficult getting those films in front of an audience um, you know, and I've experienced it myself, you know, when I've done like independent horror films and you take it to a festival somewhere in the UK and there's maybe like a hundred people in the room watching it. And that's great. But, you know, trying to connect with an audience outside of that, outside of people who are, you know, happy to travel to Romford on a Tuesday, you know, it, it is genuinely <laughs> a, a real issue in the industry. Mm. Um, and I believe the audience does exist for independent movies but it's like we have a problem connecting with them um because i think it's only huge studios with million dollar budgets that that can afford the kind of campaigns press campaigns that are necessary um and i don't know what the answer is um maybe if like all the audience were forced to have a i don't know so many slots per week for indie films or I don't know. Um, maybe there could could there be like a special Oscar category for films mm. with a budget of under half a million or something? I don't know, but just something Best to kind of give a platform. Sort of thing. Yeah, a different category. Um, just I think we are we need a better platform for indie work. So there we go, another one in the bag, underrated and underseen. So so hopefully you're happy with the result, Aviana. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. 
Thank you so much for having me on and letting me uh, speak to you. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. No, it's, listen, it's a pleasure. We're all about, you know, putting uh, putting spotlights on, on things like this and artists such as yourself and stuff like that. So, so tell the guys at home, what have you got going on? Where can they look out for your stuff? Where can they follow you on the socials? All that sort of stuff. Oh, um, well, I am currently in How to Kill Monsters, which is doing its festival run. It just won uh, Best Film at Dead Northern. Uh, I'm also in Wrath of Dracula on Amazon at the moment, and I'm on Instagram, search Aviana Snow. Uh, I'm very accessible. You can find, find me anywhere. <laughs> Just type it into Google and I'm there. I suppose, yeah, I suppose with your, the name as well, there are not as many Avianas around, so it's like... Exactly, there's only one of me, so yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, we'll put links to anything anything that you want us to put into the episode notes. Do Thank check you out so AV, much. Do check out Avianas work and support independent artists and all that stuff. Aviana, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there we go. Another guest episode in the bag. Another underrated and underseen film, Little Joe. Thanks very much for Aviana for coming on. Make sure you check out her stuff. Uh, you know, give her a follow on Instagram. Check out some of her films. We'll put links to everything that we can in the episode description. So click on down and uh, see what you can see. It's always interesting to support. You know, to support artists like Aviana who are obviously putting a lot of work into into uh, into something. It can be a thankless task, but do you know what? Give them a bit of love, and it is it is worth it. And uh, yeah, so thank you very much for 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 coming on. Uh, we'll be back next week with another film. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's films in that part at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. If you just search for just films and that, wherever you you know get your social media, and you'll find us. We're on Patreon as well. So if you head on over to patreon.com forward slash just films and that, again, links in the episode description. Uh, there's a bit of extra stuff there if you want to support us. There's loads of stuff over there. You can get ad-free extended episodes a day early um, and tears start from a pound a month. We're on the television as well, aren't we, Alice? We are indeed. Every Friday evening from 6pm, you can find us on the local TV network talking about all our favourite underrated and underseen films. So if you live in Birmingham or Bristol or Leeds or Liverpool or the northeast of England, you can find us on Channel 7 on Freeview. Or if you live in North Wales or South Wales, you can find us on Channel 8 on Freeview. I'm also uploading all the episodes onto Daily Motion. So if you head on over there and search Just Films and that, you'll be able to find us and see exactly what it is that we're up to. Yes, lots of ways to see us, hear us, and all that stuff. But all that remains to be said for me is thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheerio. Bye. Happy Halloween. Ooh, spooky. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.